When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Get to the Good Part. I'm Ryan. I'm John. And this episode of the podcast was pre-recorded from the womb-like space between the dryer and the wall, located in a nondescript stack somewhere outside of Knoxville. For those of you who haven't read the book, that probably sounds kind of weird. But for those of you who have, yes, it smells like liquid detergent and fabric softener. Before we kick off the pod today, uh, we want to send a shout out to the community on the Ready Player One subreddit. We really appreciate all the support and feedback we've gotten from you guys, and we can't thank you enough. And as always, you can get a hold of us on Twitter at GTTGPPod. Also, we'd really appreciate it if you'd take the time to review the show. It helps us reach a larger audience and assures John that our moms aren't the only people listening. Now, by the power of Grayskull... Here's chapter one of Ready Player One. Let's get to the good part. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to get to the good part. Um, here we are, chapter one of Ready Player One, a chapter that begins at the top of the stacks in a laundry room of a trailer <laughs> where, uh, where we meet our protagonist. Finally, John, Wade Watts is his name. Yeah, finally. It took, well, geez, two weeks for me to find out who's, <laughs> <laughs> what his name was. <laughs> Probably a little bit longer than that. Not, not to show you guys, uh, how the sausage is made, but... It took us a while to get that first podcast out. Yeah, by two weeks, I mean a month. Yeah. <laughs> that was a conservative estimate from John there. <laughs> At any rate. <laughs> we're learning. Uh, we're, yeah, we're learning. So uh, we start off at the top of the stacks. Wade Watts is his name. He's our protagonist. Um, and we find him in a, pr- a pretty bad state of affairs. <laughs> he's, uh, he's in pretty bad shape. He's living with his Aunt Alice, who is... Uh, by all accounts and measures, a real piece of shit. I mean, this, this is a bad person, to say the least. Um, she's taken him in after his both of his parents have died. Um, he never knew his father. He did know his mother. Um, and she died when he was about 11. Um, at this part of the chapter, uh, we get a little bit of background on the character, some of his favorite things. We know he's a gunter. Um, that's... that's uh, that's the one thing that really brings him a lot of joy in a life of just, you know, without joking around, some absolute misery. I mean, it's it's a pretty sad story uh, of Wade Watts, as, as you'll find out as we go along in the chapter. Um, so basically, at this point, we're treated to a, an existential history of the world um, from Wade Watts and his, his knowledge gained through the libraries of the Oasis, which, um, by the book's description, include... All of the knowledge mankind has ever has has ever uh, compiled into into one resource. Um, from this, Wade Watts has uh, entered what what can basically be called an existential crisis. <laughs> um, 
he he talks about uh, you know how mankind grew up from evolution, um, and then slowly over time basically destroyed itself. After after a uh, brief history of the world um, from Wade Watts. Um, were interrupted by Ann Alice barging in the room with uh, her boyfriend Rick, <laughs> prison tatted up, to take Wade's computer and pawn it for drugs or rent or whatever she's going to do with it. Um, Wade then descends the stacks to the narrows below to find his beloved hideout, a cargo van at the bottom of a pile of other cars. Um, where he logs into the Oasis to, amongst other things, attend school and, uh, and continue his hunt for Halliday's Easter egg. So, starting off uh, in the laundry room here, um, this, is, this is an interesting part of the book because it's, it's equal parts comforting to me and, and completely, yeah. uh, completely depressing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it, given the his description of the state of his aunt's trailer, it sounds like the most comforting place in that trailer. He, he, he landed in the best spot. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> of all the place, you know, if the rest of the trailer smells like uh, cat piss and abject poverty, <laughs> he landed in a pretty pretty solid spot. For me, I I mean, you you remember the house where I grew up? Yeah. I grew up. Um, on you know, in the basement of my house, uh, right across the hallway from uh, from the laundry room. So when I first read the book and I read the line, you know, it smells like uh, liquid detergent and in uh, fabric softener. It immediately connected with me. I mean, I immediately felt at home. I've always enjoyed those scents. It's a great scent. It smells clean. It really is. It's it, you know, and, and props to Ernest Klein on this because it really is the scent of home. Like even if you're not at home and you smell that smell yeah. for some reason, and I'm probably just speaking for myself here, but it reminds me of when I was a kid. No, I agree. I agree. It you smells know, just clean. It homey. smells fresh. It smells homey. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Good stuff. Yeah. Good. St- it's a good thing. As Martha Stewart could say. smell worse. Yeah, like cat piss and abject yeah. poverty, you know. I I, I would take a uh, liquid detergent and uh, and fabric softener. Even I would take just about anything <laughs> for cat piss. Even sleeping in a, poverty. in a I don't sleeping what, bag on the floor. Right. Yeah. Even even if you are on the floor of a laundry room. But um, he's awoken by the sound of gunfire, which he says is not uncommon, but still shakes him up a little bit. Um, that's understandable. <laughs> um, you know, especially when you're younger, you know, I mean, he's not that young in the book. He's, he's about high school age, but still, if you hear the sound of gunfire, it, it's sort of, it, it's, it's sort of the lightning striking close to home. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The gunfire and screaming. I, I don't think I could ever get used to that. I'm sure. I mean, he's grown up in that environment. So, and he's still slightly shaken by it, but, you know, I grew up in Chicago and I, I don't think I ever heard any gunshots and I expected to, uh, and if I, I, yeah, I just don't, I don't think I would have ever felt comfortable with that. No. Um, so, so to, to make his way to the morning, uh, Wade wakes up 
opens up his laptop and activates his emulator, um, where he begins by playing some coin-op classics, uh, including Defender, Galaga. Uh, what was the other one he mentioned? Asteroids. Asteroids, playing Asteroids 2. Um, some of the things he... he it's it's funny this part of the book because he re- he he sort of remembers them fondly, without having been you know the age that you would have to be to remember them fondly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean he 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 begin you know he wakes up in the middle of the night to uh, to play some video games to kind of wake it, make his way till morning. Um, the game that uh, he decides to play Robotron twenty eighty four. Now, John, did you ever play that game? Never played it. I actually had to look it up because I uh, I was sure that it was. A real game, but I had I had to look it up because he he uh, yeah he describes the gameplay a little bit. I wanted to see how very, that per- may pertain to the chapter. Very very in, in, in a little bit a little bit descriptive on that game. You know what I mean? And you know, for a game uh, as simple as it is, it does have it does have a pretty uh, a. A pretty detailed background story in the opening crawl, um, and I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not gonna. I'm not actually gonna <laughs> quote the whole crawl to you, but basically what it says is that uh, mankind has has uh, progressed to the point where they've created robots to do most of the work for them, and at this point the robots have turned on uh, mankind after observing the inefficiency of its creators. Now. First of all, when when I I, I too I, I I did have to go back and 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 look for Robotron 2084, but it was it was crazy because the moment that I did and I pulled it up on YouTube and I was watching gameplay, I had one of those moments. I don't know if you you know what I'm talking about, like but a movie that you never really knew the name of, but you saw one time, or an episode of a TV show that you saw sometime and like a, a line of it stuck with you, and all of a sudden you were like, oh, that just like shot me back the moment you see it. Yeah, yeah, no, that I know. Was, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that that was yeah. the experience that I had when I pulled up this YouTube video because I actually used to play this with a kid down the street from me all the time really? on Atari. Really, and the best way that I can summarize this game to you is absolute chaos. It's absolute chaos. Basically, the the theme of the game is is you're this sort of superhuman avatar that's in charge of protecting the last family on earth. Now that sounds really detailed, but what it really is is a ju- like a black background mm-hmm. with four people wandering aimlessly around not knowing what to do. You have a bullet hose of a gun and you're basically just spinning 360 degrees trying to kill as many of these enemies as you can and running after these this family and trying to you know get to them and collect them before interesting um, yeah before before they get attacked by the bad guys it's chaos okay and i i i remember it being a difficult game but after watching it on youtube i was like i i don't know how anybody could have played that in <laughs> i mean it looks like fun don't get me wrong it looks like a fun game but it is just absolute chaos. The thing that strikes me, though, is in the book, Wade says he's playing it for two hours before he starts to lose steam. Two hours. Oh, yeah. yeah. I maybe would get a minute and a half into that game before I was like, you know what? This is too damn hard. Well, I'm done. He, he, must be, he must be pretty good at it then. 
Well, obviously, yeah. This is a, he dedicates a lot of his time to these like old coin op games and these old Atari games. So you know, just and, and you'll find out further in the book just how adept he is at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but to spend two hours in Robotron. You know, to get that to advance that far in the game is just like that's an achievement. It's mind blowing. Yeah, it's mind blowing. Well, doesn't he say how like, far can his uh, his hands start to go numb or something, and then he yeah. just loses focus <laughs> after two? Which, when he said that, I mean, I knew you know from the games that I've played where you get to that point where you're like, I just I can't I can't, fo- I can't do this anymore. Can't do it anymore. My, my my fingers cannot physically do it, and then you lose all uh, mental focus. Right. <laughs> And it's not like Fallout, where it's like, I've been playing this game for ten and a half hours, <laughs> and I just, I, I literally can't think straight anymore. Yeah. It's it's like, you know, because in Fallout, you know, I mean, you're going to, you know, or any RPG, you're going to like, you know, mill about for a little while. <laughs> Walk for, for an hour. Go to the store, <laughs> sell some shit, you know, I mean, like, you know, you know, go through a couple buildings, pilfer through some junk. But in that game, I mean, it's just straight up onslaught. It is it is the most action packed part of Walking Dead happening every second hmm. for two and a half hours. I might have to play this. My hat's off to you, kid. Yeah. I mean, that seems really, really impossible to me. But I mean, I mean, you've you've played Galaga, you've played Space Invaders, you've played Pac Man. I mean, how like how far can you get in those games? Yeah, not very far. Uh, I mean, I st- I was playing those games as a as a kid, so I wasn't very talented. Uh, at that, but, but you know, I got frustrated easy as a as a kid, and I wasn't very good at it. So no, I did not get very far. You know, in, in like uh, my experience, I, I think the first game that I ever beat, beginning to end, was Mega Man Two. I'm pretty sure that was the first game that I beat, beginning to end. And if I go back and play Mega Man Two now, yeah, it's so hard. It's so impossibly hard. It's it's so difficult. There's shit coming at you left and right. Yeah. You have to time your jumps perfectly. How I had that hand-eye coordination as a child <laughs> is beyond me. I couldn't drive a car, but I could play that. Now I can drive a car, and I'm not too sure that if if somebody held a gun to my head, I could get to the end. What do you, Mega you, Man you think you were spending more time playing Mega Man 2 at that point than you do driving nowadays? Probably. Yeah. Probably. It, it probably was a matter of practice and repetition. But just to, you know, lift the veil on most of the drivers out there. <laughs> most people are worse drivers than children are at Mega Man 2. <laughs> Which is not a, not a thought you want to cozy up with at night. It's easy for you to say that in Knoxville. <laughs> I've driven around with you in Knoxville. There not the greatest. Although here in Salt Lake, they're not that great either. It shocks me. It shocks me that the streets of Knoxville do not look more like the streets around the stacks in this book. <laughs> just cars piled on top of each other and people just like getting out of them and being like, fuck it. I'm just leaving it there. I'm done. I'm not traversing this pass. And you've got plenty of <laughs> it's, RVs it's out so there, bad right? sometimes. I mean, I know they're a worst city. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to be one of those guys that says, oh, my city's the worst for driving. Everybody says that. Yeah. You know? But Knoxville's pretty bad. We grew up, but we grew up spoiled as far as highway driving. I mean, driving in Chicago, we learned, we had, we got. It's pretty smooth Pretty pretty decent experience on the highway there. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Okay, so 
Um, much, much, much as we did as children, uh, Wade's, Wade's hands get numb, they get tired, and his mind just, just goes blank. And uh, that ends his game <laughs> over Tron 2084 about two hours and 15 minutes after it probably should have for a human being. Um, so, to, uh, so to make his way to morning, uh, he consults the almanac at this point for uh, one of Halliday's favorite shows. It's Family Ties. Oh, yeah. You remember Family Ties? I watched Family Ties. Marty McFly. Oh, was he, he was in that? Was he Marty McFly in that though? <laughs> Michael J. Fox. No, man. <laughs> that was Alex the prequel. Keaton. Was that the prequel to Back to the Future? <laughs> that was the prequel. To, yeah. <laughs> Alex P. Keaton. Yeah. Most people don't know this, but Marty was a young Republican. He was a Reagan Republican. <laughs> no. <laughs> that show. I mean, did you watch Family Ties when you were a kid? I watched it a bit as a kid, and I and I was again. I was probably too young to like understand exactly what was going on, but. You know, Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox. He was Fox. so cool. What a guy. Yeah. What a guy. I, I love, you know, I love most of the stuff he's in. He's hysterical. Yeah. He's great. He's a classic, man. You know, this Family Ties was one of those things that I think I probably watched mostly in syndication just because it stopped playing in nine or stopped playing. Uh, the run went from, I think, 1982 to 1989, if I recall correctly. Okay. Which is a long run for a television program. That's, yeah. That's commendable. It went for a while. Um, a couple things that I want to point out about family ties here. Um, the first is movie-related. Um, one of the things that Steven Spielberg came out and said, and I'm sure a lot of you guys out there listening probably know this, uh, Steven Spielberg has said that, you know, any reference to his movies in Ready Player One, he's going to take out of the movie, hmm. which blows my mind. <laughs> Why it, did he give any explanation? He doesn't want to be self-referential. And I get that. I mean, I, I, I get why you want to take yourself out of the movie. I get I get how that makes you feel a little bit funny. You know what I mean? But yeah. how do you remove Steven Spielberg from, from Ready Player One? Steven Spielberg was the fucking 80s. Yeah. I mean, I he's going to include it, everything else. I mean, it's not right. like he's taking up a majority of the spotlight in that aspect, you know? Right. I mean, but, but, I mean, Steven Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy, they made 80s films. Like, that... Most of the stuff you remember from when you were a kid were made by Steven Spielberg, Amblin Entertainment... Kathleen Kennedy. I mean, that's your childhood right there if you love the 80s. And now, Ready Player One brings up a lot of movies that aren't Steven Spielberg movies. It makes reference to a lot of movies that aren't Steven Spielberg movies. I get that. There's there's a lot of, there's a deep well to draw from in, in Ready Player One. Mm -hmm. But there are a few things that I don't want to, uh, I don't want to tip tip the hat too much because I don't want to reference anything that's coming up. Yeah, you don't have to. I I'm under I'll, the assumption just, off just by just you know by what we've read first already chapter. that yeah, he's <laughs> probably going to reference a lot. There's going to be references to yeah to to but I don't know if you picked this up from the first chapter John but there's going to be references to a lot of 80s movies and television shows and games. Yeah. In this book. Yeah. I don't know if you picked up on that. I, I had to read it a few times to understand that. <laughs> 
<laughs> it wasn't it wasn't immediately aware. Like I wasn't immediately aware of that. It came to me over time. Yeah. But, I had to sleep yeah. on it. Yeah. But but how you how you make a movie and that's going to be a challenge for him, I'm sure. But how you make a movie about the 80s and you leave Steven Spielberg yeah. out, it's just going to seem it's going to seem like an alternate reality, which I guess it is. But anyways, moving right along. Family Ties. Uh, family another, ties yeah. another point to bring up about Family Ties. Family Ties takes place in Columbus, Ohio. Okay? Or a suburb of Columbus, Ohio. Ernest Klein himself was born and raised in Ohio. Not quite Columbus. He was in a suburb of Cleveland. Um, for those of you who have read all the way through the book, and John, you can earmuffs this, but it doesn't really matter that much. Um, Columbus, Ohio is a is a big part of of this universe. Okay. Or of the United States in the book. I'll make a mental note of it. Make a mental note. Yeah. It's it's in our show notes, so You're not yeah, you're not going <laughs> to you're not spoiling not anything for me, right? <laughs> <laughs> not not spoiling anything I haven't already spoiled anyways. Yeah. Um not not a, not really a huge uh huge deal. So at this point after we get out of family ties um, one of the things that Wade really likes about this this show is that it it sh- you know to him it, it resembles what what an American family should be. Um, it's you know a well lit home is what he brings up. Um, a loving family, uh, people who can sit there and like talk out their problems. Everything he never this, had. Right. This this tugged at my heartstrings a little bit. I got to be honest. Because, you know, I mean, here you are in an impossibly bad situation, right? And you can't yeah. help but think of Wade as a kid at this point because he is just a kid. But, he, I mean, here he is huddled up in the corner of a laundry room and this just waste of breaths home. <laughs> that is his aunt. And, and he's watching episodes of Family Ties just to get, like, you know... A sense of wishing, what a family wishing he be. was in there. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's tragic, sad. man. It really is yeah. sad. And the reason he's in this, uh, he's he, he's in his aunt Alice's home is because both of his parents, we find out at this point, are dead. Um, his father, who uh, John was, John was apt to point out, we do not name, or Wade does not name. Excuse me. Um, died when he was. Uh, when he was shot while looting a grocery store. Um, and he even says at one point that he thinks his dad was kind of cool because he gave him an alliterative name, like a superhero or like a, a secret identity, a secret identity of a superhero. Um, and he really, you know, he appreciates that part of him. And he even says it made me think he's a pretty cool guy despite the way he died. And now, Here's the thing about that, that line in the book, and for some reason it, it irked me. It, it, it got to me. He was looting a grocery store. Yeah. I mean, given, like, given the landscape of reality of the United States at this point in the book, the fact that the man is looting a grocery store while he has a, you know, a family... First of all, he's probably not. He, they didn't say rob at a grocery store, so he's not the only one involved. Well, it's during, <laughs> you know yeah, it's during I mean? a blackout. They said, it, 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 you know, it that's said. right. So, yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah, he wasn't the only one doing it. I'm sure. <laughs> like he's sticking up a grocery. You know, it's not like he's holding up some poor 17 year old kid. You know, like raising Arizona style. 
I'll take these huggies and uh, whatever cash you got in the register. <laughs> If you haven't seen Raising Arizona, that movie is incredible. <laughs> Such I, a good movie. I've seen most of it. I haven't seen all of it. All, are you serious? Yeah, I just... Uh, I have, Cage. I, I feel cheated because I've made reference to that movie so many times, and I think this is the first time I've ever heard you say that you've never seen the whole thing yeah, all the way through. You know, I, I, yeah, I I need to. And I, I, I points to you for playing along, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm just... I gave you shit about not seeing Willow. And now I'm starting to feel bad about not seeing Raising <laughs> right, Arizona, yeah. so I'm, I'm just going to keep mean, my I'm mouth not gonna, shut. Look, I'm not going to launch into a thing here where I say, you know, like, oh, you've seen Willow, you should have seen Raising Arizona. Like, I'm not going to play the game of which one is better than the other. I'm a comedy guy. I love comedy. Mm-hmm. So Raising Arizona to me is like, is, is just, I, I put it in my top five comedy movies of all time. It's so funny. It's so good. Well, it's Coen Brothers, right? It's Coen Brothers. Yeah, yeah so I, sh- I should So, I mean, that's it. not a stretch. But... Yeah, I've seen some of the other Coen Brothers movies that weren't quite as popular. I probably <laughs> should watch Raising Arizona. <laughs> I know, right? It's such a... Anyways, we've, we've gone off on a tangent here. Um, it's not like, you know, not like that. He's not sticking anybody up. He's out there looting for food, Okay. So it, it just it, it, it crawled up me the wrong way to hear Wade say, you know, despite the way he died. It's like, man, he probably died trying to support your family. In the way yeah, he, he, he died. Right or wrong. <laughs> he died for you. Yeah. You, you, you should feel a little bit better about that, at least. But, you know, I mean, it gives you an idea of, of, of Wade's moral compass. So I guess it's sort of necessary. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh at any raise <laughs> we're also introduced to Wade's mother Loretta um, who was who was for all intents and purposes she was involved in his life you know um, she she didn't seem absentee and he speaks of her at this part in the book anyways uh, very affectionately he loved his mom um, despite what she did Despite what she did, she was a telemarketer and she she worked at an online brothel at night, Um, which is a soul crushing reality, you know, and the way he talks about it is he he knows and the, the only way he would know is if he was aware of it at the time, but he would he would put his headphones on and he would, you know, he would he would watch old movies to uh to hide him, or to, to, to block out the sound of his mom working at this brothel. Now, the only way you're going to know that if you're Wade Watts is if you remember it. <laughs> yeah. And he was pretty young at the time, so that's... Obviously that's, made an impact on him. That's a tough... Well, yeah. It yeah. would make an impact on anybody. I mean, just... The shit you'd hear. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> I don't even Poor want to kid. imagine. I don't want to I don't imagine. either. I don't want to, because the problem is, is, is when you read a book, you have to imagine it in the context that you understand, which means that you're probably listening to it or you're imagining it in your mom's voice, and that's a place you don't want to go. Nope, nope, let's not that's discuss that. Really that's not a place you want to go. get really depressing really quick. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, in fact, we're going to cut off the conversation at this very point. <laughs> we're going to move on from it, and everyone out there... I hope I did not just put that thought in your head. <laughs> it's troubling. And you I did. 
Yes, you did. I apologize. You can't take okay. it back. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, consider this podcast a support group at this point, okay? Because we all came across that when we read this part of the book, and we were all a little skeeved out by it, all right? Let's just yeah. call it as it is. Let's bring it out in the open. My name is Ryan, and when I read that part of the book, I got grossed out for that very reason. It bothered me. Moving on. Um, <laughs> because he's hiding from this devastating reality, uh, he spends a lot of time in um, interactive uh, television shows for kids, um, including Sesame Street. Now, what a cool thought. Yeah. Being a kid who can actually hang out on Sesame Street. Yeah. I think that's every kid's dream. Right? Yeah. Or it should be. I always wanted to hang out with Oscar. Oscar was your favorite? He wasn't my favorite. I just, you know, I just wanted Oscar's to. Oscar's a bummer, hang out. man. Why, why, if you, like, that's. Because like, maybe, maybe I can I'm hang kind out on Sesame I can hang out with any one of these guys on Sesame Street. Find me the biggest bummer. I want to hang out with the guy in the trash can with a shitty disposition. I don't know. I just, he, he was really he was happy being by himself. I don't know. So I mean, why would he want you there? I, he wouldn't want me there. But this is an interactive, <laughs> interactive fantasy. You so know? you could just alter reality to where like Oscar's like, hey, I don't want anybody else here but you. Except Come for you, kid. The trash can. <laughs> Hop on in. Yeah. So so really that like I would hang out with Grover. Yeah, Grover, Gro- I, yeah, Grover was pretty. Grover was pretty cool. And Gonzo, His voice yeah, those, get were, on my damn yeah, those are two good ones. Grover does. Grover's voice was the voice really of Grover. Is it done by the same person that does Miss Piggy? Because he it is. sounds very similar. Frank Oz was the one that did the voice. Frank Oz did the voice of Grover and Miss Piggy. Yeah. And uh, Eric Jacobson did it for the Muppets, but. I would imagine. I mean, like, if you listen to Grover's voice, it's it's pretty clear that they're the same. Person. Yeah, it's they they sound the same. It's the same damn voice. I mean, and, and there's really no like sort of gender difference between the two of them. No. Either. It's just the same, straight up the same voice. <laughs> it's the same damn voice. The upshot to this is that as Wade gets older, um, he realizes that the Oasis is basically a giant library. He's got access to, as the book tells it, um, just about anything that's ever been created as far as media, you know, books, movies, music. That'd be awesome. Shows, whatever. Yeah. It's 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 a virtual reality torrent site. <laughs> yeah. Basically. A legal torrent site, right? Yeah. So So, like, when I say that, when I'm like... You know, if if you're telling this to somebody who who's never read the book before and you're like, yeah, basically, so he's growing up and he doesn't want to hear his mom have phone sex. So he just jams on some headphones and he finds out that this virtual reality um, world that he lives in is basically um, it's just a giant repository for everything that's ever been created as far as, you know, music and movies and everything. Yeah. And your the reaction you would probably get out of that is, oh, so you mean it's like. It's like the Pirate Bay <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's different because, you know, it's, you know, a virtual reality library kind of thing where people can go and enjoy those things. Yeah, it sounds like the Pirate Bay. Yeah. There's really no difference. Yeah, okay. yeah, that, <laughs> so that exists to a certain degree. 
There's a, you, you can find pretty much anything on a torrent site, and you could probably find a lot of shit you did not want to know existed yeah. on a torrent site. But <laughs> <laughs> the Oasis, not not the world's first, but certainly the world's you know the world's final torrent site. Final and finest but, torrents. Fi- final and <laughs> finest, yeah. It's everything. Even even the deep cuts, you can find them there. <laughs> but here's the thing. My question is, and this isn't something we need to go into great depth on, is it even still legal in, or still illegal, sorry, in 2045? Is it still illegal in 2045 for all that information or, or to be available to the public. You would think at a certain point they move off of that, right? Yeah. I, 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 my assumption would be that at this point it wouldn't be illegal anymore. Uh, maybe when he started the Oasis uh, and putting this stuff on there, I don't Maybe it was illegal at that time. But, I mean, it, who's going to police that at that point? Right. Well, I mean, you think about it this way, right? When we were in high school – there were kids that would that would come to you with a you remember this they would come to you with a binder mm-hmm. full of like album titles and they would be like hey I'll burn you this CD yeah for like 5 bucks or like a buck or whatever it was right right and you'd be like hell yeah man <laughs> take my money yeah because at the time like you were still limited to what you could buy and then what you could tape off of the radio you know but, like, when Napster came rolling around, um, you know, people started downloading LimeWire and yeah, shit I like had, that. Yeah, I had LimeWire, sta- yeah. Yeah, and pe- <laughs> people started downloading and they started, you know, burning stuff to disk. I mean, that was sort of the birth of it. But, I mean, like, even even now, I mean, you take a look at it. I mean, you can go onto iTunes and you can you can buy individual albums and everything like that. But then you take it even a step further and you've got things like Spotify, right? Where, you know, I mean... If you're at home and you're on your computer, you don't even have to pay for it. You can look up whatever you want. I mean, there's a commercial break, but it's a hell of a lot shorter than the ones that were on radio. So, I mean, to to a certain extent, this sort of exists already. Maybe not so much for movies as it as it does for music, but you can find music just just about anywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And we're talking about a difference of I mean, we graduated from high school in 2002. Yeah, oh two. So. Jesus, 15 years. Yeah. 15 years later? Thanks for bringing up how old I am. That just made me feel really uncomfortable. Yeah, I hate talking about my age. I sick <laughs> thinking about that. Anyways, 15 years later, and look at the landscape of reality, man. Look, look, look at the reality we live in. It's so much different from where we were then. And we're talking, we're talking twice that amount of time from right now. I mean, it's, it's completely feasible... That the kind of limitations that we work with as far as accessing media and things like that, um, the landscape's going to be a hell of a lot different. Yeah, it, it so, really doesn't feel so far out of reach at this no, point. Not it's at all. not so futuristic that you have that you have trouble imagining these things. It's it's something that is yeah very very close to happening at this point in time. And that's kind of one of the things that I like about this book. You know, I mean, not to go off on a tangent here but one of the things that i like about this book is that it is sort of a dystopian future kind of thing and if if you want to dial my number <laughs> do the dystopian future story it's my favorite thing in the world um but it's a dystopian future but it's not it's it's very realistically 
what could happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. From from between now and the year 2045, the things that we discuss in this book are absolutely feasible. And, you know, I mean, it's 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 an interesting take on, you know, a possible outcome. And I, I like it for that because it's not completely unrealistic. Yeah. But I don't want to go too far off on that. I just wanted to bring that up. Um, and how that plays out between now and then is really the next part of uh, the next part of the chapter. You see how I did that? That segue there? That was a you great like segue, actually. It was a good one, wasn't it? Yeah, we're, we're getting better we'll, at this, folks. We'll keep the segue. Keep listening. We're gonna keep we're gonna keep tuning, fine tuning here. It's gonna get better every week. Uh, so, so next we're treated to um, a brief history of what has happened between, you know, basically the time you're reading this book and and now. Uh, to, now in the book, 2045. Um, and it's given to you uh, based on Wade Watts' observations from digging through that Oasis library. And it's nothing that you haven't heard before. Is be- really the best way that I can say that. Are we about to get dark? It, we're about to get dark. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this is this is this is basically a young man's existential crisis happening on like two pages. Yeah. It's 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 the, the most bleak vision of a world you could possibly imagine, and I'm just talking about the stuff before shit goes down. <laughs> like, I'm not even talking about the part where like it's it starts to go bad. Like I'm talking about like if like about half of this description, he's talking about you know the beginning of time up until when shit starts to go bad, and even that's pretty bleak. So he starts off by by talking about evolution, um, which he describes as an absolute, a scientific fact buried in the rocks. Um, whether you agree with that or not, I mean, I'm sure there are some people in this uh, in this audience that that will disagree with uh, the the theory of evolution. Um, I, for one, uh, it's it's I mean. I'm I'm a pretty uh, pretty firm believer in science. <laughs> I put a lot of trust there, so no comment. Um, what's that? No comment. No comment. All right. Yeah, I, I, that's this that's a discussion that we could go back and forth on for another hour. <laughs> probably, probably. I'm 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 a fun, yeah. I'm 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 all in on evolution. I, I feel pretty firmly about that. But it, at any rate, um, like Wade. Who is a firm believer in <laughs> evolution, and you know basically talks about how mankind evolved from, you know, uh, from our most, you know, basic beginnings, and at this point he he does display some, some some kind of reverence uh, to to the progress mankind has made since uh, uh, since the dawn of time, um, that. That I would say is a pretty optimistic thing. I mean, he's 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 looking at mankind like you know, it's 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 a little bit strange because he's almost got an observational standpoint on it, which I guess is easy to have when you're you know looking back in time. Yeah. The weird part about it, though, and this is this is sort of a struggle I think for anybody writing, you know, in a narrative tone, 
is to not disassociate themselves from from the class of people they're talking about, even though they are part of that class of people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's very observational, and it's almost like, excuse me, it's almost like what an alien would say about mankind if he were studying it. <laughs> you know, he's just like, look at them. They found fire and wheels. <laughs> and then they spread like a virus. Right. And I, 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 I got to say here, it's impossible for me not to read that part of the book in Hugo Weaving's voice. Like, mankind is a virus. <laughs> that stupid-ass voice that he does. Mr. Virus. Anderson. Which, by the way, okay, gravel that up a little bit. Gravel it up a little bit. And you even, like, look at the way Hugo Weaving moves his mouth. You gravel that up a little bit, you got the emperor. That's all it is. When was the last time you saw The Matrix? Uh, hmm. It's probably been years since I watched, I watched it. I don't know why, but I watched it like three weeks ago. Well, the first it just happened to be on television. The first one's a great movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, the they should have just stuck to terrible. that, dude. If they had, if they had made the first Matrix movie, thrown up their hands and said, "That's it, we're calling it a day," that would have been one of my favorite movies. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I mean, like, you look back and it's a little dated now. You know, it's got that, it's definitely got that, like, late 90s, early 2000s vibe, you know, which if you're our age, you look at that and you cringe a little bit and it's like, eh, I remember kids wearing those trench coats. Well, yeah, but still. That was I, lame. But still, some of the cinematography and the fight scenes and everything, yeah. they still look pretty Keanu cool. Reeves, killing it, man. I love Keanu Reeves. The, I mean, the scene uh, uh, at the the base floor of the of the building where like uh, the pillars are exploding and everything's in slow motion still right. looks cool badass it's really cool i mean most of that most of that movie's really cool it's dated though like when i watched it just a few weeks ago i mean like when they pull out the phones to like make a phone call it's like wow <laughs> that wasn't that long ago. I remember yeah. when this was in theaters. It is funny <laughs> like, when you see movies that are uh, not even all that old and they, they have a oh, cell phone. It's like, right, wow. My... Yeah. <laughs> and do you remember when like when like it was so cool? Like like when you were a kid and you watched that movie, how they had those phones that you pulled up and it was like a stiletto knife where like you just oh, press a button yeah. and the bottom shoots out. I wanted one of those so bad. Yeah, I wanted one of those it and I also so wanted uh, the sunglasses that uh, oh, what's it? Uh, Lawrence Fishburne had the ones that didn't the have the rims with... on the side. <laughs> yeah, that just sat <laughs> on the top of your nose. Those looked so cool at that time. The most impractical thing I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> it was, it was unreal how they just stayed there. I know. <laughs> well, I mean, like you know, I mean, you could you could probably give props to Lawrence Fishburne being a completely expressionless. Yeah, actor. he was he was for pretty stone faced for the most. He's got like movie. one face in that movie. <laughs> I mean. There's really not a whole lot of place for them to go. Yeah, he's serious. He doesn't crack a smile, does he? I you know he does, but it's like a it's like a side smirk kind of thing. <laughs> like, you know, like a kicked off like to the side, like hey. Like he knows something. And that's the thing. I mean, like, that's his whole character is like, I know something that you don't. Even though like you find out through the Oracle he doesn't know shit. Like it's just Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Matrix, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, have you ever noticed 
all tied it all the way back to the beginning. You ever notice Hugo Weaving Smith character in the Matrix is basically the Emperor, the way he talks and everything like that. Yeah, no, I can see it. Yeah, I can see it. Like, like, imagine, like, imagine the Emperor saying, "Mr. Anderson." <laughs> Didn't he Seriously. have a little bit more of like a lisp, though? <laughs> no, that's that's but that's what I'm saying. Like Hugo Weaving, even virus. Oh, okay. Like you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it's all right. Like he kind of had that lisp in there too. All right, I'm, remem- like, I'm remembering. I'm remembering the subtleties like, like, now. You don't, yeah, you don't realize it until you until like it occurs to you. But like Hugo Weaving's dialogue as the Smith is really damn close to to the Emperor Man, in Star Wars. You're really making me want to go through like a Matrix Star Wars kick when when we finish recording. Do it. <laughs> I might have to do it. I'm I might even write a blog post about this. <laughs> and just like like on the website and then just like include like myself going virus and like just doing like like <laughs> I'll do I'll do lines from the Emperor. As, oh, as the yeah. smith yeah. and then lines is the smith is the emperor well i'm I, i'm bad at voices so we'll have to find somebody else to do it if anybody's listening that can do the yes. voices if anybody yeah if anybody's got a really good emperor impression that wants to quote shit from the smith <laughs> in the matrix we've got a speak pipe on the website please Just record yourself please do doing it. it and we'll play it on the next episode because that would be hilarious <laughs> and I'm telling you, man. Like, like we we just need one person who sounds like the emperor to say shit like like that the Smith says, or say things that the you know, it just like I'm I'm telling you, all you need is somebody who who can actually do the voices to do it, and you'll be like, oh my god, yeah, you, you've convinced it's the me. same thing. You've convinced me. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah. All right. Anyways, <laughs> mankind is a virus. <laughs> That is, that is spreading around the earth, and uh, and and basically eats itself alive based on its own progress. And I want to tie this part of the chapter back to the very beginning. Basically, the progress of mankind has led to its its decline. Um, I really want to I want to give Ernest Klein some some credit here because tying it back to Robotron. Uh, 2084, which, you know, we talked about the opening crawl at the very beginning of the episode, ties in so well to this part of the chapter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where mankind is, is has created something and it's led to its downfall. I mean, you know, we paraphrase, but, but that's essentially what the beginning of Robotron 2084 says. You know, and it's it's not an uncommon thing that you hear in, you know, that you see in science fiction films or, you know, Really, whatever, whatever medium that you that you get your science fiction, it's it's pretty present in just about everyone that that pictures a dystopian future that mankind's, you know, progress has been its ultimate downfall. Mm -hmm. That's not that's nothing new. But to tie that in in such a subtle way, I think is, you know, is something that Ernest Klein really deserves credit for. And we're going to see that a lot more throughout the book. But I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. I hope it doesn't end like his game in Robotron in this chapter. 
where he just gets overwhelmed <laughs> yeah. in, in the last family on Earth dies? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not. I'm not going to spoil it. We'll wait and Most see. Most of you know that. But anyways, moving on. All right. So um, at this point in the history of Ready Player One or in the history of the world, according to Ready Player One, um, Earth is on the decline. Um, we've depleted most of our natural resources for energy, uh, fossil fuels. Um, this has created even more war um, and even more desperation uh, over the limited resources that are left. Um, it's widely, uh, widely considered to be the end of mankind or the beginning of the end of mankind, which is, you know, a Depressing. really shitty time to be born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Depressing. I mean, he's born into this, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, and he brings up, and another credit to Ernest Klein on this, he brings up a really good point in this next part of the, in this next part of his explanation. And he doesn't really outwardly say it, but, you know, he, he says that, you know, it's a really shitty time to be born into, you know, on, onto Earth when, you know, humanity's on the decline. But he gives, he does say that it was even worse for his mom. Now, his mom in the book would have been born around the time that our kids were born. Or right around the time, of, like, like right around right now, his mom would have been born. Weren't they for teenagers, the though? Of, Didn't he say they huh? were like rebel teenagers when he was born? Yeah, I guess so. So, so I'm, but so not too so far really, from this point. Yeah, not too far from now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great acknowledgement in this story that he he understands the place where his mom was coming from and why she had the affliction that she had. Mm -hmm. You know, he understands the struggle that she had because she was born into, you know, uh, she was she was born into you know, a much better situation. And then she watched it collapse. And she watched it collapse. And not only did she watch it collapse, and I'm not going to do this if you had kids, like I'm not going to do this whole thing, but to watch it collapse while you're taking care of somebody else mm -hmm. has got to be terrifying. It's got to be terrifying. Yeah. Because there's nothing you can do. You're powerless. You know what I mean? Yeah, do you like try to shield your kids from the truth, or you know, I how how you're protecting them in more ways than one at that point in that time, you know, of the downfall of civilization. But at the same time, you're a human being. You know what I mean? Everything that you've known, and you've got to consider the fact that you know, she and her husband had been together since since they were teenagers, and then he dies. You know, but as as we read it, trying to feed the family. Mm -hmm. And that's got to be just a horrible existence to be by yourself taking care of a kid in that, and in, in, in just that, you know, in that climate. And it's got to be terrible. Yeah, and what she, it's got to be terrifying, yeah, man. And what she had to what she had to do as a living to provide for for her right. kid. Yeah, I mean that's. It's this is a part of the story where you know I mean if you're reading it I mean the, the, this this is a fun book to read this is great but it's so hard to read that and not just you you kind of get a feel for his mom you know what I mean and it's you know you 
you you also learn in this part that that she dies of a drug overdose. Now there are a lot of people even nowadays that that struggle with you know addiction, especially nowadays. I mean, it's everywhere, and it's it really is. It's it's a harrowing and an awful way for a person to go. And I think one of the things that comes first is loneliness. You know what I mean? And and it's it's just it's it's really it's it's a really tough part of the book to read. It's hard for me to to determine whether or not I feel bad for her or not, you know, because she was she was doing what she could, but then she basically said, "Well, here you go, Wade. Here's the oasis. Here's a virtual reality that you can, you know, go off and But wouldn't you? Know, you? Ra- I mean, what what do you have to show that kid? You can't take him outside. It's dangerous. Yeah. You know, I mean, but she could afford know, drugs. What, right. So, is it like was she was she did she say I don't I I can't I can't take on the responsibility of raising you. Here's the oasis. I want to I want to, you know, uh take care of my own vices by uh you know whatever whatever drugs but or is it i have yeah. to ta- i have to take the drugs in order to live with the fact that i'm an online prostitute see i you know? but i think i think you're i I, th- I think in saying that you're you're assigning it to too specific a thing you know what i mean because you have to remember it's not you know she's not just taking drugs because she's a prostitute no, the depression you know, is like, yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot at play here. And, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, that it's okay. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not signing the permission slip here. I'm just saying that, you know, I mean, it's, it's a tough situation to have watched your entire reality deteriorate in front of you while you're raising a child. It's got to be difficult. Yeah. And, you know, if, when, when she goes out and she, you know, an addiction, an addiction is a tough thing to deal with under normal circumstances. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and I guess it it's not like he doesn't show any sort of uh negativity towards her over that no, situation. That, so so exactly. I guess yeah, there's really no reason to for me to come to that conclusion. If he doesn't feel like she disappointed him, then no. you know, I shouldn't. And yeah, and he remembers her fondly, and that—that's the point, though, is that when he when he talks about this part, you know, when he gets to this part of his mom's story, he's he's saying it almost like out of just complete pity for her. Yeah, he genuinely feels bad for her, which you know is is a pretty selfless re- reaction for somebody who we find out at this point in the book uh, who loses their mom at eleven years old. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, especially when you're in your late teenage years, you know what I mean? To have just, like, not not a resentful attitude, but one of just, like, pity. You know, I mean, I, I think that gives you an idea of the character's character. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, to I not, agree. To not, blame, to not blame his situation. I mean, we, we learn, too, in this next part, I mean, just just the, the resolve that this kid has, right? Uh-huh. So as a result of his mom dying when he's 11, um, he has to move in with his Aunt Alice, who is a piece of shit. She's a bad person. And she takes his food vouchers um, 
and and that's his rent. So he's left to fend for himself. But because he has this skill mm-hmm. uh, for uh, for finding and fixing old technology, you know, laptops, Oasis rigs, things like that, um, he's able to make it. He's able to get by on his own. And he says this with almost, you know, with with optimism. You know what I mean? He's he's optimistic about yeah. it. He's he's like, I make it, you know, I do okay. And he even says at this part, you know, I've got it better than a lot of people do. Kid, you're in a sleeping bag on the top of a a tower of mobile homes <laughs> buried, you know, just in a sleeping bag next between a wall and a dryer. You you don't you, your family is stealing your food vouchers so that they can afford to pay for drugs, mm-hmm. and uh, and Alice's boyfriend Rick, <laughs> <laughs> covered in prison tats, is uh is 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 coming up and making you flinch so that he can take your computer. He's still pretty so optimistic. that he can buy even more drugs. Yeah, he's still a pretty optimistic, kid, for everything that's gone wrong right? at this point. I mean. He, like, there's a lot of pessimism coming from him in this chapter, but at the same time, he doesn't go full holding Caulfield on you. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's got, he's, he, he doesn't, he, I think the best way to describe it, he's got a very realistic outlook on his, uh, on his situation. You know what I mean? He sees that he, he was born at a disadvantage, but at the same time, he's got the means by which to, to survive. It, it sounds so, like he's grown up pretty quickly. Right. Oh, you'd have to. After, yeah. Think. I mean, it's that or starve, so. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's literally the point we're at with this kid. Yeah. Is just, you know, survive or don't. Um. Anyways, so that was depressing. That whole <laughs> last little part. We're just going to move on from that. To, uh, I wish I could say lighter fare, but... <laughs> Not quite yet, It does right? get a little more optimistic in this part of the chapter, though. Um, because, despite his situation, this is not the only place that Wade has to go. He has his hideout. Um, to get there, this is, this is another little, you know, subsection of the, uh, of the chapter... In this part, we kind of meet the stacks. Mm-hmm. Now, the stacks are, uh, if if not a character in the book, uh, definitely um, one of one of one of the most, uh, I guess, visual set pieces. Yeah, I mean it's it's I mean very vivid, vividly described by Ernest Klein, and. Thank you so much for doing that and making it so vivid because it's it's a neat and it's a neat concept that he kind of comes up with. Basically, what happens is um, around the time that the energy crisis hits, everybody's kind of starved for um, electricity, power, uh, and and if you're living out outside of a city in a rural area that power is getting sapped by the more urban areas. So what happens is it causes everybody to kind of flock to their urban centers. Uh, Because of overcrowding, they don't really have a lot of place to put these people. So what they do is in 
trailer parks on the outskirts of the city. They build... Uh, he says he says a lattice work. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, if if you've ever seen like wire shelving in like a workshop, uh, you know, or an art closet or something like that, imagine that on such a large scale that it could that that each shelf would hold a mobile home, and that's what the stacks are. Because I think you know, if it's it's a de- it's a very good detail, but I think it's one that a lot of people overlook when they read it. They just assume it's just trailers stacked upon trailers, yeah. Just but you know, structure upon structure, right? Um, but that's not the case. They're actually almost like on shelves, if you hmm. can imagine. Um, which is it, it gives you sort of a different visual. Still, regardless of the fact that they're not just haphazardly tossed on top of one another, this is still an incredibly dangerous way to do things. Well, somebody had to stack them some bitches. Somebody had to stack <laughs> them some bitches. Thank you, Mr. Miller. Yeah. No, it, it's it's sort of an interesting thing. And, you know, any, if, if you were to talk to an actual engineer, I'm pretty sure that they could tell you, well, you might get some of them say, yeah, it'd work if you did this, this, and that. But the way it's described in the book, this is an absolutely horrible idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, it even says it's, it's that a horrible they, idea. even says that, you know, fairly often they, they the stacks collapse and take, and, you know, not just one, but they take multiple stacks down all at once, which it's just... It's a horrifying yeah. concept. <laughs> A horrifying concept, because you're talking about, like, a lot of people. I mean, like, how many people did he say lived in his in his unit, 16? Uh, there was three families, three 16 families. people? Yeah. Yeah, at 15, 16 people. And he was the 22nd, I think. Yeah, he was on, he was on the top. He was 20-something on the stack. They're 22 high, he, they, and he they, was the they, top. They, yeah, yeah, he was at the very top. You know, 22 times 15 is a lot of people. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of souls in that stack. I mean, and, and then the domino effect, where it's taken out just swaths of those things at one time. Yeah. Imagine. I mean, it's just it's 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 a horrifying concept. Anyways, so Ernest Klein does a really good job of uh, of painting this picture for you. Of what you know, the, the kind of the the kind of situation, the landscape that they live in. Um. He, I think in this chapter, some of his best writing comes in describing the stacks. Would you agree? Yeah. Where he's talking about like on the shores of outs uh, on the shores of I forty right so, right outside of the um, the taller structures of the urban core. I can't remember exactly. It's something to that effect. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's just it, this part is really beautifully written. Yeah. Um, and and it, it I think it's because he's you know I mean it's clear that he's visualizing this this is this is one of the best descriptions you get in this book is of the stacks um, and it's a good thing that he does because it's very central to uh, I, I think to the character's identity you know to Wade's identity is the stacks yeah you know what I mean but anyways well, so he even builds the, the his own video game right. Exactly. And it's based off right. of the stacks. So it's not a coincidence. <laughs> right of yeah, it's not a coincidence that uh, there'd be so much just detail in in the in his description of it, you know. And I'm glad you bring that up. I'm glad you brought that up. So he he does he mentions at this point he climbs out of the window um 
after his laptop's been taken, it's t- it's about time for him to to log into Oasis for for school. And to do that, he's going to go to his hideout. Um, so he climbs out the window, and he's walking across the platform um, surrounding his his unit on the stacks, um, which sticks out about a foot and a half from the side of the the trailer. Now, as John said. He talks about how the stacks um, inspired him to uh, to create his 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 own Atari program, his own Atari game, um, modeled after the stacks. It's kind of like a Donkey Kong, yeah, pitfall uh, type. <laughs> Again, pitfall. Yeah, a pitfall type of game. Um, he says that climbing around the stacks reminds him of Donkey Kong, so he creates this pitfall-style game called the Stacks, where you have to hop around avoiding meth addicts and pedophiles <laughs> and, and picking up old computer parts. <laughs> now, <laughs> you, you learn you learn a couple very important things, both for later in the book and just to describe Wade Watts as a character at this point. Okay, first of all, uh, you know. I'm not saying that that programming an Atari game is going to be the hardest thing in the world to do, but if you don't know how to program, it's still pretty impressive. Yeah, you know what I mean. And given the fact that this this kid's you know just beginning high school, I'm sure there there's there's ample resources on the Oasis to learn how to program, but to be self taught, right? Or or to even have just you know looked up the information to learn how to program and make your own Atari game while you're in high school. That's impressive. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's still... So he's clearly a resourceful kid. Right. Uh, knows his way around computers. Obviously, we already knew that. Um, but another great point that gets brought up here when we're talking about, about Wade, and I've done this before in my life, like, especially when, like, you know, you're doing some mundane activity, but... The way he factors in fantasy into his everyday life yeah. is probably a big reason why he's so optimistic. Yeah, that's, that's you a know good what point. I mean. Yeah, that's a good point. Like he's he's not thinking about he's not thinking about the fact that I mean it, he does say that if you go down the the staircase on the side where you're supposed to go down, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to get you know beaten, robbed, worse, <laughs> right. But it, so 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 it's not that he's disconnected from reality, but to to sort of shelter his own mind from that, he creates this sort of fantasy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's yeah. probably the key to his optimism, I would think. Yeah, I can see that. So so on his way down he goes. He's climbing down the side of uh, the side of the stacks, and who does he run into? But sweet Mrs. Gilmore. Mrs. Gilmore. Um, the cat lady. Yeah, the cat lady. <laughs> <laughs> making making soy bacon and powdered eggs. Mm-mm. Yeah, and, and we're we're gonna we're we're gonna call this uh, this part of the podcast clickbait because if you want to feel old, consider the fact that Mrs. Gilmore is in her eighties and she grew up in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, she's around our age at this point. She's around our if age. We're, if we're right. lucky enough to make it, <laughs> yeah, that long. So so. So John and I are almost, if 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 not quite there, um, we're we're getting close to seventies at that point. Yeah. So she was probably she uh, a few years older than us. A few years older than us. Still, not, a, not much. Still appear. 
Not much, but she's old enough to talk about the 80s with Wade and some of the things that she remembers, and he considers her just an invaluable resource for some of the nostalgia that she she offers. Um, she's also really sweet, lets him stay there, um, you know, when things get, get a little hot at home. Um, he has trouble sleeping there because she's a cat lady, <laughs> like we said. So clearly she's a child of the internet um, around this time, yeah. 2017, because, you know... Uh, cats are gods these days. They can do no wrong. <laughs> I would argue they always have been. I love cats. Yeah, I, I'm a cat guy. I, I do. I used to be a cat guy. Now I'm not a anything guy. When you get kids, you did. I don't know. For me, like I'm sick. I'm nothing <laughs> like, now. I, I've got to take care of. Without my cats, I'm nothing. I've got to take care of children. I don't need to take care of anything else right now. Yeah, I, th- I think the nothing you're talking about is being a father, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have cats, so I'm nothing now. Well, I mean, like, I'm a dad, but, you know. I mean, I've got kids. I got kids, but, you know, it's not cats. We'll we'll see how long they last, but. (laughs) (laughs) At least the cats took themselves to take a shit. Yeah, but, man, you got to clean up after that. I'd rather change a diaper than clean a litter box. I agree with that. That's some... I don't want to go too far into a poop discussion, but <laughs> there's just the the smell of cat it's gross, piss, though, man. It's gross. I I mean, I'm not saying the kids aren't gross. Kids are disgusting. Yeah, they are. But I mean, either way, if you're taking care of something, you're gonna have to deal with some stuff. It's just unsettling. Yeah, really bad. All right, so enough, enough of that shit. Cats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so enough of that shit. Um. Mrs. Gilmore offers him some powdered eggs. He declines and says he has to get to school. Um, and then goes go, goes about his merry way. Um, clearly, th- this is this is another part of the book where you get an idea of Wade's character. Yeah. Um, and it, really, this whole first chapter is just such a great exploration of his character. Like, it really builds builds him as a human being. You know what I mean? You 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 in, in a very subtle way, you get an idea of who he is. Um, but but one of the things that he talks about is how Mrs. Gilmore is just deeply religious. Uh, Wade is not, okay? And this is this is the product of his own research through the Oasis libraries uh, that, that he believes God and organized religion are just false. Um, but... He he doesn't he doesn't really let Mrs. Gilmore know that because she's she's a very uh, spiritual person she's you know very deep into her faith she's constantly telling Wade she's gonna pray for him um, and he doesn't he doesn't rob her of that and you know by by even having the discussion of oh I don't believe in God and entertaining that just that that discussion she he he doesn't even go into it with her he just sort of sidesteps yeah that, I, I, a conversation like that would change your relationship with. I with think that so. person, well, you know, depending on how open-minded the person is, right? I mean, there, you know, there there are some people who understand that you know that you come from a different person as far as faith, you know, goes, and they won't disparage you for thinking something different from them. You know, I mean, that, that yeah, there are plenty of people out there like that. But it could. You're right. But. He doesn't want to. I I don't think that he does it to salvage his relationship with Mrs. Gilmore. He literally says in the book, he does it because he he doesn't really see a point. Yeah. 
And he, he quotes the almanac here where people in glass houses should shut the fuck up, <laughs> which is a pretty good line. Um, but he's, you know, I mean, that's, that's you know, it's it's one example. And I want to bring this up, too, before because we're getting to the end of the chapter here. It's really interesting that you take a look at his his this this chapter is a chapter about Wade Watts values. Right. Right. Ultimately, it's, it, it comes down to his set of values. And as you move through the chapter, you know, you find out like family ties. That's his idea of what a loving family is. Right. Right. And the, the the concept of people who live in glass houses should shut the fuck up. That's like that is like a values conclusion, right? Right. You, you've 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 realized through your research or whatever conclusion that you know or whatever brought you to the conclusion that religion is 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 false and not something you want to pursue. But you decide ultimately not to to press upon somebody. Those are both things that came from the almanac. Family ties being one of his favorite shows and. And, and this, right? And it gives you an idea of just how influential the almanac has been on his life and in, in making him into the person yeah, he is I got to say that when I read the Glass Houses quote out of the almanac, it, as soon as I read it, I thought, man, I want to read this thing. You know? If it's yeah. full of, of quotes like that, right? I would love to sit down and read that. It's probably yeah. It's just like it's it's thousands of pages of just this guy's musings. Yeah, and it, it's got to be one of the most entertaining reads. <laughs> it's probably like it, it's probably like reading the nerdy version of Charles Bukowski, <laughs> just like this curmudgeonly guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Just like it, it just just like being dead set honest. <laughs> I'm sure it's fantastic. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think it exists. It may somewhere on the internet. I'm sure there's. I don't. I don't know that it's thousands of pages long. Right. But yeah. That... There's. There's got to be a uh, a compilation of everything in the book. Yeah. But at any rate, you know that's 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 an important thing. We'll see how important it is as the book goes on. But the almanac is a big part of what shapes Wade Watts into who he is. It doesn't specifically say that in the chapter. It doesn't say that, like, you know, I learned this from the library and I learned this from the almanac. But you get an idea of just how important the hunt mm-hmm. and how it is almanac is to him. Right. Right? Right. So <clears throat> he even says at, at, at some point that the hunt is what saves him. Yeah. The hunt literally saves his life. Um and and that's that's you know it gives him a sense of purpose or a reason to wake up in the morning you know what i mean and there was a book have you ever heard of uh the book reality is broken no by jane mcgonigal Mm-mm. it's a really interesting book it's um it's sort of like a uh it's sort of like video games from a psychological perspective okay and one of one of the th- one of the things that they explore in the book is like um, the therapeutic qualities, sort of, of video games. I'm paraphrasing. It's been years since I read the book, uh-huh. so I apologize if it, to to anybody out there. If it, you know, email us, shoot us a message, something to correct me if I'm wrong, and I'll correct myself on the next episode. But uh, there there are parts in the book where she talks about how you know the brain has a difficult time discerning victory in a video game from victory in your actual life. Hmm. 
so they have they have sort of like the same uh, the same impact on you, I guess, emotionally. Um, and as far as you know, affecting your mood and things like that, I could see that. So, have you ever gotten past the yeah. tough part in a video game and just felt like euphoric afterwards? Yes. <laughs> I don't know if I felt euphoric or if I was just ready to go to bed after a few yeah. hours. Well, I mean, I've it, that's, <laughs> some of those situations have carried over into the next day or the day oh, after yeah. that, and it's just like finally yeah. I get to see what's yeah. next. If you've ever played Dark Souls, you know exactly what we're talking about. That game. Have you ever played Dark Souls? No, I haven't played Dark Souls, no. (laughs) God. But I remember... I remember it was uh, Arkham... It wasn't Arkham Asylum. What was... uh, What was the... It was Arkham City. Arkham City, the fight with the Joker in the the factory. I remember... Oh, yeah. Well, that was... That's a tough... That was a tough fight. I but called I, yeah, you after I, I played that. I remember you saying, man, I just can't get past this part. Yeah, fuck this. I was done, man. Yeah. I was like, I was like, no, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> like, I'm done. Like, I stopped having fun. Yeah, I, it took me. Like, why would you make it like this? It took, I, that one took, a, took another day. The next day I finally did it and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Finally. And the rest like, of the game wasn't that Like, even if you don't hard. smoke. It's one of those levels that even if you don't smoke, you have to go out and have a cigarette so you don't put a <laughs> hole in the wall. It's just so frustrating. And there's probably somebody out there who's listening to this so like, oh, I beat that on the first try. Well, good for you, man. Yeah. You know what? Good for you. I'm happy for you. I never even finished the game no, because I got so frustrated with that part. <laughs> I just threw the controller down. I was like, you know what? I'm done. It's not fun. Moving on to the next game. Assholes. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I I probably put in something like really I probably like started my tenth playthrough of Fallout New Vegas or something. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> so Wade makes his way down the stacks, and um, comes upon his hideout. Uh, this is a very heartwarming part of the story. Uh, it does not mean to be, but to John and I, it is. Uh, John and I were definitely the type of kids that had forts when we were younger. Yeah. And we understand the. Uh, the importance of that little safe space, of that that place where you can, you know, and I, I think that I think that to a certain degree, um, that was intentional on Ernest Klein's part because you get this kid, you put him in an impossible situation, but you give him his fort, and it's almost like if you wanted to draw an analogy there, it's almost like the oasis is kind of like his imagination. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because he can go into that fort and he can. He can do the hunt. He can go to school. He can be who he wants to be. You know what I mean? It's 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 his it's his place, man. Yeah, it's a safe spot. It sounds it's you know it sounds like a pretty cool fort. I I would have loved to have a fort like that as a kid. No kid to have a key to your to your to the door of your fort. That's probably the best part. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Hey, you could just lock it up and put your own you know leave your stuff in there. Well, and then you got a bike to like charge up the power. Of your fort, yeah. man. Yeah. This thing's pretty. Yeah, this pretty decked out. And then, and then it's soundproof on top of that. I know. Well, I think calling it soundproof is a stretch. If you take, you know, egg cartons and carpet, there's only so far you can take well, that. It's somewhat I mean, soundproof. I'm sure it gets the job done. Yeah, I'm sure it gets the job done. But, you know, I mean. If you're having an intense moment, let's say trying to beat that Joker fight <laughs> in Arkham City, 
You could scream. And you rage quit to the point where you're screaming and punching the side of the wall. Probably not that soundproof. In my <laughs> no, experience. No, not for you, it wouldn't be. Not for no. me, no. I'm still going to wake the, the wife and kids up. Not not a high point, folks. <laughs> not a high point for me. God, I, like, when I talk about it, I'm still pissed off. I can see that you're pissed off. I'm still frustrated about and it. You see I how I don't, I don't seem all that uh, stressed about it? That's because I beat it. That's a, can you beat it and your resting heart rate is like three. Yeah, that's true. You're very laid back. I'm a pretty laid back guy. But I still that yeah. still infuriated me. It's like, why? You yeah. know, when you get to a part like that, sorry to talk about it again, but when you get to a part like that in the game, you just think to yourself, why would they make this part so hard? I want to keep playing the game. Why would they Why would they want to fuck with me so I much? I shit you not. I just, dude. I shit you not. I just checked my Fitbit. My heart rate right now is 111. Just talking about it. Like, that's how frustrated it still gets me. Okay. Now, this is completely irrational. I understand that. Yeah. But it's still, like, I still get so pissed off when I think about it. I know. Well, like, let's not talk. Let's talk about something I still a little more have I just need to go back and beat it. You're going to have to now. I'm going to watch. So I'm going to watch the Matrix and Star Wars back to back. And then you're going to play Arkham City and beat that part. One of us got the better end of this deal. Okay. And it wasn't me. I'm going to go and I'm going to watch The Matrix. I guess I'll have to watch The Matrix and Star Wars. And Matrix and Star Wars. Although, I mean, I watch Star Wars enough as it is. So I, yeah. I... Anyway. You can go raise your blood pressure. <laughs> oh, my God. Just the thought of doing it again makes me angry. Let's move on. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> so, Wade, now down in his, his little Ford area, pulls out his school-issued... Oasis console, uh, which consists of a visor and haptic gloves, um, and begins to log into the Oasis. Um, he issues his passphrase. Do you have that in front of you, John? The passphrase? Yeah. I don't, but I'm probably closer to it than you are. His passphrase is... You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada. Which is from what movie? The Last Starfighter. Right, so he quotes, he quotes, or I don't know if it's a direct quote. I never saw The Last Starfighter, did you? I saw it when I was a kid. Like most things, it's just so fuzzy. That's why, that's the great thing, you yeah. know, about revisiting See, these things. See, that's your challenge, don't Yeah. Oh, Don't worry about the Matrix. No, I'll watch, watch that, that too. I'll watch that too. This is going to be really tough for me. Logs into the Oasis by quoting The Last Starfighter, or maybe not quoting, but referencing to the movie The Last Starfighter. And we learn that his name in the Oasis is Parzival. Um, that is how uh, he is known inside the Oasis, Parzival. It's a superhero um, name. Sort of. Yeah. Well... It's it's interesting. In in a coming chapter, he will dis, he he will explain why he chose that name. Okay. Um, if if you haven't read the book, and you're you know 
you're a study in history. You probably, you probably already have figured that out. But John and I both, we, we, we sort of met in the center on our notes on this. This chapter is an origin story for a superhero. Yeah. It really is. I mean, Wade Watts, he, you know, they, they make, you know, they make reference to it. Wade Watts being an alliterative name, not unlike you would hear from, a, you know, a, a superhero Clark in a comic Kent. book or their secret identity. Yeah, Clark Kent. Peter Parker. Peter Parker. Yeah. You just seriously, you could go on for days, man. Like once you crack the nut on that one, you 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 pretty well figure out that most of Stanley's characters had alliterative names. But anyways, so you know, all of all of the the common tropes are there. He's an orphan. He's got an alliterative name. Um, you know, impossible odds. You've got some optimism there. Chapter one is essentially the origin story of of Wade Watts in this book or Wade Watts as a hero and how he's a hero. We won't really go into depth about, but, or if he's a hero, well, we'll, we'll Let's find face out. It, you probably already yeah. figured he's going mean, to be, he's going to be, he's the, yeah, he's be the, the yeah, hero, but we'll find out how it, how when there's a draw. Out. I mean, this kid's going to do some great shit. <laughs> We've already crossed that bridge. We know that that's no surprise. Uh, last little bit here in the book, uh, as Wade logs into the Oasis to, to go to school, um, a little a little shout out to CoinOp Games that Halliday embedded into the code of the Oasis. As soon as you log in, bright flashing on the screen, it says, ready player one. And that's it for the first chapter. Yeah. It was a good read. I'm looking forward to chapter two. Finally, <laughs> you have Man, it's, you're looking for you're looking forward to chapter I, two. Yeah. You have no idea no, I, yeah. how in the next couple weeks how much you're going to be looking forward to the next I've chapter. Been, I mean, I've been able to <laughs> fight the urge to read ahead at this point, and I can only imagine how much harder it's going to get as we go on. I mean, when we get to chapter five, ten, twenty three, you know. How am I going <laughs> to – I mean, I'm committed to yeah. doing this, so I'm not going to cheat. It's going to be a challenge, I'm not going to cheat, but he, I wonder how much that's going to really irk me as this book goes along. It will. Dude, that's why we, that's why we decided to do this. I told you to read this book I so know. many times. I know. And you didn't. So now you got to wait. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. Um, we're having a great time doing this podcast. We hope you're having a good time listening. Um, we'll be back next week with another episode of get to the good part for ready player one chapter two. I'm Ryan. I'm John. So long. hope John Williams puts that into that moment. You know what I mean? Because he has to. He has to be like, yeah, I've written this movie before. You that know? would be pretty fitting. To...
That would be pretty Oh my fitting. god, it'd be so great if he did that. If oh, like yeah. right when right when Wade looks off to the horizon. That would be Oh my god. That would send chills. I lose it. <laughs>